Welcome to the Texas Conflict Coach radio program. If you've ever experienced or engaged in destructive or unresolved conflict, then you know it leads to broken relationships, distrust, and damaging results. Our program will help you manage and resolve conflict effectively with strategies, valuable resources, and support. Since 2009, our radio program hosted guest experts from around the globe sharing their perspectives, experiences, and expertise while giving you food for thought. If you can't listen live, then download and listen to any of our 300-plus podcasts in our library at TexasConflictCoach.com. So sit back, relax, or join the conversation every Tuesday evening or tweet us at TX Conflict Coach. Now on today's very special episode in our Elder Care series, we will have a conversation with Steve Maida, attorney and mediator in Valencia, California. And our topic today is mediation, elder abuse, and saving the family, mediation and conflict strategies to avoid elder abuse. So tune in very closely as we will also be announcing a contest for a free giveaway at the end of the call. So stay tuned. Now we invite our listeners to call in at 347-324-3591 with questions or comments. And just indicate by pressing the number one key that you'd like to join the conversation if you have comments or questions for Steve or I. And for our Blog Talk Radio registered users, the chat room is open and you can pose your question or comments there as well. So again, the call-in number is 347-324-3591. So let's get right into highlighting who Steve Maida is. He is one of California's premier award-winning attorney mediators, and thanks to his work in helping resolve disputes in a variety of types of civil litigation. Uh, Steve has been successfully mediating complex cases since 1999. He has been repeatedly selected by his peers as a super lawyer in the field of mediation and has been selected as one of the best lawyers in America in the field of mediation. He is also the author of the critically acclaimed book, 112 Ways to Succeed in Negotiation or Mediation. And we'll give you a lot of websites and contact information for him. So thank you so much, Steve, for joining us, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Patty, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to today. All right. Well, we're going to get right into our conversation Uh, Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, especially your decision to move from a litigator to a mediator? Sure. Um, Well, first of all, I was litigating cases in elder abuse. I was doing uh, all types of elder abuse litigation, nursing home cases, uh, financial issues, um, residential care facilities, um, isolation-type cases, death cases, all types of issues that were dealing with um, elder abuse. And what was happening is that when I would litigate the case, I would go through mediation or I would go through trial, I was finding that when I called my clients a year later, I found that the clients that ended up through the mediation process were much, much happier clients than the ones that had gone through the trial process. And so that was one thing that I found was a very important thing. Um, Two, I, I really felt that it's very important that I can help more people uh, to go through these difficult conversations, difficult times, 
um, when they're dealing with elder abuse issues and they're dealing with these fights that are going on, whether it be through the family or whether it be the family against uh, a health care provider, I was able to help them more and help more people get through those very, very dark times. So those are some of the reasons why I got into elder abuse mediations as well as mediation in general and how I transitioned over. And let me just remind uh, listeners that as a litigator, as an attorney, you're usually an advocate for your client, whereas in a mediation, you become a neutral, and that way it really does empower you and the parties to work through things in a very different way. Um, so if there's anything else you want to add about that, certainly please do so. Absolutely. Um, yeah, as a litigator, you're an advocate for a party. Uh, as a mediator, in essence, you're an advocate for resolution. Um, and, you know, usually the, the problem with it is is that the legal system, I think, unfortunately, is not a perfect solution. It's the only solution that's out there. And the problem happens is that people come into litigation because they don't know where else to go. But they have questions, they have problems, they have concerns. And the litigation system is not necessarily the best to manage those issues. Questions like, why did this happen to my mother? Why did you do this? Why, you know, have we destroyed the family dynamic so badly over some financial issues? Those questions don't get answered in the lawsuits. Um, what happens is the law allows for a legal recovery, which is economics, dollars and cents. But oftentimes the discussion that you have, the issue that you have, is not at all about dollars and cents. It's about emotions, questions, answers, and, you know, hurt feelings and things like that. Excellent. Thank you very much for making that distinction. So let's set the foundation for our conversation about elder abuse and neglect. So if you could go a little bit more into defining when you say elder abuse or when we as consumers feel elder abuse, what does that actually mean? Well, elder abuse, um, there's now been some universal definitions that you can take for what is elder abuse, and there's probably two aspects of it. Um, the first is what have, you know, all the different organizations defined and the states defined as elder abuse. And they can do that as um, physical, um, bad conduct towards an elder, sexual abuse, um, emotional abuse, neglect, um, what, you know, failure to take care of people's health, and financial abuse. And each one of them has the word abuse on it. But what we mean by that abuse is wrongdoing, substantial wrongdoing, bad conduct. I mean, it's simple when you talk about physical abuse. Everybody knows that. Sexual abuse, everybody knows that. <clears throat> Excuse me, emotional abuse, people don't necessarily understand that fully. And part of that is things like isolation, taking, uh, preventing, you know, elders from um, interacting with their family members, um, v verbal abuse that you might consider, you know, in the domestic violence setting or you might consider in a child abuse setting. You, you can analogize that too back into the elder setting. That verbal abuse is oftentimes the emotional issue. Neglect is usually dealing with failure to provide for the health and safety of that elder who cannot perhaps take care of all of his or her needs. And then the financial is probably along the lines of stealing money from an elder, stealing property from an elder, or improperly using an elder's assets, finances, things like that for your own personal gain. So that's those are probably the standardized definitions of what elder abuse is. The last thing I might point is the second aspect of it is under the law, the law often allows some of those but not all of those to be a basis 
for prosecuting a case or suing in a case for elder abuse. So, for example, in California, and it's similar in many states, uh, neglect is considered or financial abuse is considered uh, a form of elder abuse that you can sue for or criminally prosecute for. However, emotional abuse is less so a, a, a type of abuse that is considered one that can be prosecuted or sued for. Yet that abuse is oftentimes some of the worst type of abuse that elders can experience. So two things that come up for, to, uh, in mind for me is, uh, one, I've also heard the word exploitation, and does that fit into that definition? And then I have another one, but go with the exploitation one first. Um, Absolutely. Exploitation would probably fit within the financial if we're talking about exploiting their assets. Um, and so it fits directly under financial abuse. Um, some people call it fiduciary uh, abuse also, but it's often it's financial, whether it's stealing $5, taking $5 from the purse, or telling grandma, oh, you should invest in this asset or invest in this product, and you're exploiting their lack of knowledge or their lack of understanding. So that certainly would be in that exploitation. Okay. Excellent, because I've heard that several times now. Um, the other thing, I was talking to a hospice worker uh, recently, and she said, she goes, have Steve talk about uh, the elders' self-abuse and self-neglect. And where does, that far, what is, where does that fit in here? Um, I guess the simple way to explain it is you can take any one of those categories that we've just talked about, and it is done by the elder himself or herself. So one example would be an elder uh, fails to take his or her own medications and refuses intentionally to do so. Uh, another would be they don't take care of their own um, personal well-being and they're not you know, providing for their own cleanliness and their health. Oftentimes that is the root cause of that is some form of depression um, that's coming amongst the elder, perhaps that they've lost a loved one and they now may be self-neglecting themselves. Um, it could be from... Um, their own personal, you know, issues that they have. I've dealt with cases where, for example, an elder has consistently um, neglected his own care for five to six years, and each time Adult Protective Services is called to try to help that elder to get that uh, assistance to try to protect themselves from themselves. So that's uh, self-neglect, but it can be in any form. It could be in financial. They may they may go out and have a gambling addiction, uh, and they may be creating problems where they're spending their entire Social Security check, you know, in one fell swoop. Um, all of those areas of abuse can be done by the self. Um, in the law, oftentimes it's not seen as that because people say that you have the right to do your own thing. You have the right to treat yourself the way that you want to, and you have the right to refuse medication and treatment. Um, so although legally it doesn't necessarily come up much um, in a reality in the real-world setting, it comes up quite often, actually. Okay, very good. Now, we're going to get into some common types of elder abuse cases that you've seen in the in your history of both litigating and mediating, but uh, not everyone's going to know what Adult Protective Services is or APS. Can you just briefly talk a little bit about how they come into play? Sure. Adult Protective Services is an organization, and usually it's county-based, so it's a lot like, you know, you have Child Protective Services, and you have those organizations that if some child is being abused, you can report them, and that organization will be tasked with the responsibility of protecting the child, perhaps even taking the child away from its parents. Well, the same concept works 
in elder abuse. And that is there is an organization, an agency that is tasked with protecting the elder, and that's their only task. And so they may even take the elder out of his or her own environment in order to protect him from um, perhaps elder abuse or some you know, financial abuse. Um, it's interesting. One more thing I might point out, Patty, is that um, elder abuse is very interesting. It's, it, you know, it's very similar to child abuse um, because you've got a child who cannot care for herself or himself, and you've got an elder who cannot provide care for himself or herself to certain levels. Children can certainly provide for some of their own needs, but not all of their needs, and there's a varying stages of that. But the interesting thing about it is that elder abuse is a lot like what child abuse was but 25 to 30 years ago. And so the awareness of it is not there yet as what we had. Perhaps in the 60s and the 70s, you might have seen events of child abuse, and people might have just said, oh, well, that's just Uncle Joe or something to that effect. And that was very common, um, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And that is similar to what happens here today is that elder abuse is such an under-recognized syndrome. There are things going on all the time about elder abuse, uh, especially in a domestic setting, that is not recognized today. That is a very interesting uh, parallel to that. Thank you for, for talking about that. So let's get right into the common types of elder abuse cases that you see. Um, and uh, cases deal in, it could have been in litigation or mediation, but the folks would be, what are you seeing now? Um, well, first I can tell you the most typical type of elder abuse that is out there is domestic elder abuse. That is family members and friends abusing in a financial setting, emotional setting, um, and physical setting the elder. So that's the most common type of elder abuse that is occurring. In the litigated form, because as a mediator, oftentimes what I see is once it's getting into a lawsuit or it's just about to get into a lawsuit, so I see them in a, in a very significant dispute area. And in those areas, I probably see two main areas. One is in the healthcare setting where people are suing healthcare providers for something that they believe is neglect of their grandmother, mother, family member. And then number two, you are seeing major disputes amongst siblings um, and family members over the care of their family member, their loved one, their mother. Um, and it might be based upon a financial issue or it might be based upon some type of isolation issue. Um, but those are probably the two biggest areas where you're going to get, you know, hey, I used to be able to see mom every week, and now my brother has prevented me from seeing mom, has turned off the phones, has taken away her cell phone, and I can't get access to mom anymore. So I'm curious about something, because I've talked to other mediators who are getting into the elder abuse area, or into elder care, actually. And so when I brought the idea um, that, you know, that you were mediating elder abuse cases, they're like, well, how is that possible if it's against the law? How is it that you get these cases? And say a little bit more about that. Well, what happens is it's accusations of elder abuse. So let's take it in a domestic setting. Um, and the example that I just gave was that mom has now been isolated and uh, brother is accusing sister of isolating, you know, mother. And so what's happened is sister might have been the caretaker, has been taking care of mom, and brother is in a different state or in a different city and is calling up mom and now is saying, hey, I'm not able to get access to mom or so forth. Then oftentimes what happens in combination with that is brother perhaps discovers or believes 
that there's a financial issue and sister's now stolen a ton of money from mom. So now brother files a lawsuit is their first step is what they oftentimes do and they jump into a lawsuit or they get into a, a litigation process and that's when I get involved on that because now they've already accused the sister of committing elder abuse. They've used those words. They've committed, they've stated that you're stealing from mom, and that's one dynamic that happens. The other dynamic that happens is in the healthcare setting, and that's where, for example, oftentimes it's some tragic injury. Either it's a major injury or it's even worse, it's the death. And what happens in those cases is that uh, a loved one, a mother, father, grandmother, has died in a nursing home, in a healthcare setting, a hospital, and the family either one doesn't understand what's gone on uh, or two feels that they understand it and they believe it to be elder abuse uh, because they believe that there's been some type of neglect going on of the family member and now they need to try to to stop or prevent that from happening in the future and so that gets into litigation and that's where I come involved to try to help uh, de-escalate the conflict and to find some resolution that is amicable to both the family as well as the facility or the healthcare provider um, within the parameters of the law. Now, does that mean the families have to file a lawsuit or do litigation to access mediation? No, not at all. Uh, in okay. fact, I wish more families would access mediation well, well before the word of elder abuse even comes up. Um, because the word of elder abuse is an extremely charged word. And the moment that they research and they say, wait a second, this act of financial fraud or healthcare, you know, neglect is elder abuse, it changes the way not only they feel about their, the actions that have happened, but it changes the way they feel about their family or the healthcare provider. And it, it irreversibly changes that that dynamic and so they should actually get in beforehand earlier and talk about those issues and frankly what they should also do is before they're making these accusations of elder abuse they need to work on first the conflict resolution which is that it's partly your area of expertise is dealing with conflict resolution skills to avoid the claims of elder abuse because many of them although there are certainly many cases of actual elder abuse there's probably double the number of cases where one family member believes it to be elder abuse because they've seen what you know the definitions are but in fact it's really not elder abuse because of the fact that there's a lack of understanding of what's gone on. And when you say it's not elder abuse, you mean from the legal definition? From the legal definition, yes. So let's take the example of the isolation case. Let's say those, uh, I'm sure you've had many of those types of cases, you're in the mediation. Who is in the mediation with you? Is it, is it the senior? Is it the whole family? Who's in the mediation talking about these accusations of isolation? Um, oftentimes it's all or, you know, if you get the, if you get the senior in there, um, if the senior usually has enough competence to be able to say, hey, I'm being isolated and I've got these problems, 
um, oftentimes there's not going to be necessarily those accusations of elder abuse by the kids because the senior is going to be able to say, wait a second, you're not going to take my phone away. You're not going to do this. Usually it happens when the senior has some level of diminished capacity. And so as a result, that's where the family member or caretaker is going to be in a position to try to potentially uh, neglect or abuse or isolate that that family member, the, the loved one. So usually you will have the family members, the sister and the brother coming into mediation to try to have some resolution um, of this process. And the, and the parent may be there, but perhaps may not be fully there. And if they are someone with diminished capacity, is it encouraged for them to be there with their own support or you just leave it to the two that are really uh, arguing the most about it? Um, it's it's hard to say. I encourage everyone to be there, and I certainly would encourage even a third party to be there to help protect that elderly person. Um, oftentimes that's not the case. Oftentimes one family member or the other is going to bring that elderly person there, or sometimes the family is going to say, I don't want to put mom through this, and so we're going to deal with this separately. Um, but I do encourage it because diminished capacity doesn't mean you have no capacity. It just means you have diminished capacity, meaning decreased capacity. So many times there are elders that have great ability to understand different things and can help to communicate some part of of what needs to be communicated in this mediation um, if they're present. But if they're not present, you can't get that information from them. Uh, I had a case, just one, for example, where um, the family member was deceased, uh, not deceased, diminished in capacity, and um, this was an accusation of financial fraud. I took the lady into a room by myself, and I was, and the one family member was saying, no, mom is okay, she's able to sign off paperwork, and this was an issue of whether or not mom had signed a deed over and whether mom had signed over accounts over to the son and not. And so when I took the, the mother into the room by myself and I talked to her, I walked out, and I had a deed of trust in my name signed over to me, a fake one, of course. But okay. I was able to show, hey, wait a second, here is a deed of trust signed over to a complete stranger. And obviously, your mother would never sign over a deed of trust to a complete stranger. So there is a diminished capacity issue, and this was something I was able to show to the family. There is a problem here, and finally, both sides of the family realized there is a real issue here with the decreased capacity, and that helped to break the, the fight because the one family member was saying, nope, mom gave it to me, mom gave me these assets, she told me I could have these assets, and now you're telling me I can't. Um, this changed it because now that same family member realized, wow, mom clearly wasn't willing to give the house to the mediator, so maybe she wasn't fully with it when she gave it to me. Mm, oh, how powerful is that? Yeah. That's that's very interesting. Um, so now when folks, I imagine when the family members come into mediation, you know, it's always a voluntary process, but when you're dealing with the health care uh, facilities, nursing homes, et cetera, do they come willingly to the mediation or are they required to, to show up, especially if there has been a lawsuit that's been filed? Um, they can come both ways. Um, more and more courts are sending people to mediation because the courts are realizing it is a much better methodology to try to resolve disputes. Okay. Um, 
And so more and more courts are doing it. And in fact, part of the reason why mediation has boomed is because more and more courts are recognizing the huge value of mediation. Um, but they are also coming voluntarily, too. Many of them recognize and realize they have limited resources and assets in which to provide care for these health, you know, for the, the people. And that if they take their resources and assets into spending it into significant litigation that can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, they're better off trying to come into a mediation to try to figure out a resolution to the case and to find out what the true motivations are. Because the lawsuits oftentimes don't necessarily find out what the motivations are because it now becomes in such an antagonistic and winner-take-all proposition. So where, so families that are listening to this right now and they're like, you know, we really have this situation and we really would like to go the mediation route. Where, and you mentioned the courts are now making more and more referrals. Do they? They obviously they can select a private mediator, you know, to to do the mediation. But if they wanted to go to a special court, do they go to a special court and request that? Where do they go to find this elder care mediator? Um, well, once you're going into a court, you're actually filing a lawsuit or filing some type of a petition or some legal action. Um, you can go, oftentimes there are some community me, uh, mediators who are now getting trained in the field of elder law, so that's somewhere that you can go to. Um, I mean, certainly you can research people that have skills with elder care issues. And frankly, as long as you have somebody that is going to be able to be effective in helping the parties go through a resolution, sometimes they don't even have to go through a formal process. If they've got their pastor or their rabbi who can help them through that, who can help them through that dispute with conflict resolution skills, um, frankly, I'd encourage them to go there. It's, it's not about going to the formal mediator. If they can, and they can get a great formal mediator who is exactly, you know, experienced in that field, perfect. But if they can't and they're in a community where there's nobody who knows how to deal with those things, then work with people that have been dealing with elder, elder law issues or elder care issues. Perhaps you're dealing with the rabbi or the priest, or perhaps you're dealing with the family therapist, and maybe get everybody in there to try to help through some of those problems. But I think more importantly, Patty, I think really the question is, is what can they also do before they ever get to mediation to help avoid these allegations of elder abuse, to help Absolutely. the family protect against this? Yeah, and that's a great transition. So what are some of those conflict strategies uh, before they get there? Um, well, there's a lot of them. And um, you know, as you know, I've written a book, and, and my book has many of those different types of conflict strategies. Um, but I think, you know, I could probably give you a couple of them here. Um, okay. f first, I think we would start off with one area, which is what things they can do to watch for signs of elder abuse. So that's the first area. Um, and then the second thing is we can talk about the specific strategies, communication strategies uh, that they need to have. So first, I think you need to have, you need to be vigilant when you're, a family member that's got an elderly person. And as soon as they become even, you know, 70 years old, you know, you need to start thinking about that there may be diminished issues. Even people that are, you know, in 60s are sometimes having diminished capacities. So as soon as you start to think about your parent, you need to be more vigilant about watching little signs and symptoms. You know, is your mother more forgetful? Is your father more forgetful? Things like that. Uh, but second, if you're the family member that is not local, you're not close by, Visit. Make some more visits on different hours, different times. Be there personally present. Oftentimes part of that happens is because they don't see that the person who is in a distant state doesn't see what is going on in the day-to-day -day activities. They just hear the, the end result of it. They hear the last 30 seconds 
of the show. They don't know how the entire show came about. So make sure you're visiting, you're seeing things, making sure that you're calling on a regular basis. It's harder for somebody to isolate somebody else if there's constant calls coming through. If, for example, you've got a direct phone and you've given mom a phone and say, here, mom, here's my phone, here's a cell phone, here's my speed dial, call me up anytime you want to, and be involved in that process. Uh, another thing you can do is cons consistently talk to not just your family, but friends and family so that you're knowing what's going on with the family member that you love so that you can, before anything ever happens, you're already vigilant and know about it. So that's the first step I would say. And um, a constant vigilance and wariness and eye on that will help to prevent 90% of the, the problems that you might have because the other person won't even feel tempted, if they're going to feel tempted, to do something. But second, what you want to do is before you automatically assume and say you've committed elder abuse, you want to start to get knowledge about the situation. Talk to that family member, your sister, your brother, your cousin, the caretaker, to get the information and understand what is going on. Oftentimes, most people jump to a conclusion without having really, truly understood all the facts that go, go along with it. And if you only have one small piece of the puzzle, you know, if you look at that puzzle and you take a puzzle box and you only take a small piece of it, you will never be able to f figure out what the full picture is. So ask questions, but don't ask them as, you know, isn't it true you did this? Ask non-accusing questions. What happened? How did it happen? Why? open-ended questions so that you let that person answer the questions in the way they're going to answer it so that you can understand the dynamics and you can really truly feel what it's like to be in the caretaker situation. Um, because sometimes I can tell you it's very difficult on the caretaker and it's very stressful on the caretaker. So sometimes they, as the caretaker, become very defensive when you are automatically accusing them of doing some wrong when they know they've been taking care of mom for the last six years fighting through this process helping mom and now all of a sudden family member who just jumps in is making an accusation and they weren't there so I think that's the first thing okay. um, second thing I'd say is probably understand where that other person is coming from whoever you're talking to try to understand it from their perspective um, you know, if if there's an issue or a problem, what, you know, what what were their thoughts about it? Why did they get into this situation, and what did they do? Um, third, I would say, instead of making statements, and this is a real simple one, and people can do this instantly. The moment they get off the phone here today or off this radio show today, they can use this, not just in elder issues, but in all types of issues. Change the words. Change the words that say, you did this, or you must have seen this, to I, I feel like there may be something going on. I feel that there may be problems here. I feel like mom is not able to call me as much. Is there some reason why she's not able to call me? Is, is there a problem that's going on? As opposed to saying, you have prevented mom from calling me. Or you are obviously not letting mom talk to me because of the fact that I'm not getting calls anymore. So just simply using I statements as opposed to you statements can really help to de-escalate the conflict. And I think the last thing I might say is that it is extremely important, and most people don't do this, is truly listen. And when I say listen, you know, you usually think about people and they say listen, and what happens is in their listening, they're looking at the person, but they're not truly hearing 
what is being said. They're not truly understanding what is being said. Oftentimes, and as an example, lawyers are famous for this, they're hearing what is being said, but they're thinking about the next question they're going to ask. And instead of thinking about the next question you're going to ask, give the, the respect of listening. Because what you will do is by truly listening to that person, you will then have given them respect, and then when your turn is there to talk, they will hopefully reciprocate to you, and they will then give you the respect to listen to what your concerns are. Um, there's ten commandments to listening, by the way, and I won't go through all of them. I will go through two of them, the first one and the last one. The first one is stop talking. The last one is stop talking. <laughs> Very good. Because <laughs> so, if you're talking, you're not what? Listening. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because the reality is when you're talking, you're not learning any new information. You're only giving out your information. But when you're listening, you're learning new information. You're learning why it happened, how it happened. And part of what you have to do is you have to give your direct attention to that person don't be, as an example, diverted because you've got your cell phone. How many people do you see nowadays where they're talking to you and they get a cell phone call and immediately they go to their cell phone call? Or they're talking to you and they text message you. Mm -hmm. Or they're talking to you and they've got the TV in the background. Give your direct attention to them. Focus your efforts on them. And focus not on, okay, let me make sure I get the next question out. But focus on truly understanding so that you can repeat back and rephrase exactly what they say and you get to them to the point where they say yeah that's exactly how i felt or that's exactly what i meant and when you're able to do that then you can communicate your concerns over to them but you will have then worked very very hard to eliminate that miscommunication which is often the first signs of the attack on the elder abuse claim yeah, excellent, excellent strategies. You know, I really appreciate that. And, you know, this is a nice transition because a lot of the strategies that you just talked about and in, in the Ten Commandments to Listening as well is actually introduced and talked about in your book, 112 Ways to Succeed in Any Negotiation or Mediation. Um, what highlights would you like to give the listeners uh, about that? And then we're going to tell them about a contest we're having. Sure, absolutely. Um, well, thank you for asking me about the book. Um, the book is, it's a new book, and it's um, all about different types of negotiation strategies. And the reality is, everybody negotiates. Everybody negotiates every single day. What we just talked about uh, for the last 20, 30 minutes has been about a negotiation with family members or health care providers. But people are negotiating in the real estate fields. They're negotiating with their spouses. They're negotiating with their kids. They're negotiating every day. And what happens is we need to learn different techniques that we can use to try to negotiate better. And the, re the other part of this reality is this book doesn't sit there and go into 50 pages and you learn one point. It goes for two or three pages and gives you a solid point that you can use, and then you can take that with you immediately into your next negotiation. So it gives you into digestible, small chunks of information where it says, here is what you should do, here is the psychological or sociological reason and researched basis for doing so. And so it will give you the research or the, the support for doing so. And then it gives you an example of what you, you know, how it worked in real life. 
in a negotiation, in a mediation, in a variety of different situations. Uh, and the book is not just for lawyers or mediators or anybody. I mean, obviously, they will benefit from it, too. But it's for every single person. Um, because I guess the, the issue is, is when you're looking at negotiations, if you could get 10% better or 15% better on your deal or your negotiation or your job, you will have won. And because in today's environment, What's happening is it's harder to negotiate, it's harder to get the deals, it's harder to get the sales, it's harder to get the, the prospects coming in. So when you do have those prospects or you do have the possibility of the sale, you want to make sure that you have the best chance to be able to close the sale or close the deal and get the best possible result in a win-win scenario. Um, so that's what this book is about, is to help everybody become a better negotiator. Um, and I can tell you that I've used these techniques in mediations um, and probably saved or earned people hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on their deals by making small little things, small little changes to your negotiation strategies that will help you get big, big results. Well, you know, I really liked uh, a lot of the ele- uh, many, many of the elements of your book. I mean, and we do have a discussion that's going on at the Texas Conflict Coach fan page. But one of the things you um, answered a series of questions you talked about in your book about emotional triggers, things that you know push our hot buttons when we're trying to negotiate something that's important to us. You also talked about, which I also liked, the various st- styles of negotiation, uh, and, um, and, and, and there's very ones that are very effective, and they have their pluses and minuses and, and all the different styles, and, of course, all the actual strategies and tips. Um, so really uh, enjoyed some of those areas that I've had a chance to read. Um, so what I'm going to do is we're going to actually announce a contest and uh, Steve has been very generous to uh, give an autographed uh, copy of his uh, book, 112 Ways to Succeed in Any Negotiation or Mediation. And again, this I've got to reemphasize how important these techniques are for the everyday person. Um, so if you're listening to this call, this could really, really help you, just even in your conversations with your family members, whatever it is that you might be trying to have a conversation about something that it is that you need, but they seem to be opposing to the other person. Uh, so I think this could be a very, very good for, for the everyday person who's dealing with those kinds of things, and we do. We all negotiate every day, even with our kids <laughs> sometimes. Absolutely, um, <laughs> yeah. In fact, probably the hardest negotiations are with your kids. <laughs> for those teenagers, for sure. So the giveaway is a copy of the book, and to enter the contest, you can do a couple of things. One, you can become a fan of the Texas Conflict Coach on Facebook, uh, where you can also leave comments or ask questions in the discussion area. And we do have a discussion area going on right now with some of the post questions uh, that Steve has answered, in addition to a couple of questions we'd love to get your comment on. Or you can leave a comment in the comment box for the Blog Talk Radio Show itself. Uh, It's right there on the show page. It says you can leave a comment. So either of those ways. And we're going to be doing the drawing. uh, This is a random drawing of those who participate uh, on Tuesday, September 29th. Uh, So if you leave a comment in the comment box, don't forget to leave your name and contact information. Uh, And certainly you can uh, email me as well at pmporter at conflict.com. 
www.texasconflictconnections.com. But anyways, go to um, Texas Conflict Coach on Facebook. There is a direct link on Blog Talk Radio page where you can do that and become a fan, and we'll be uh, doing a random drawing on Tuesday, September 29th. So, Steve, any last comments you'd like to make at this point? Sure. Uh, Patty, again, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, I did want to let people know about where the book can be bought. It certainly can be bought at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, uh, Borders, any of your local booksellers, any of the online booksellers. Um, so it's all, it's all over the place and it's available. And, and I look forward to hearing your comments or your thoughts on the book and, and moving from there. And I really appreciate you having me on the show today. Where could they contact you if they have a comments or questions for you? Uh, well, they can go on to um, the book's website, first of all. The book's website is 112ways.com. That's 112ways.com. Um, they can also contact me on my website, and uh, my name is Steve Maida, and um, you could just go to my website, which is stevemaida.com, uh, and that's Steve, S-T-E-V-E, Maida, M-E-H-T-A, dot com, and they can contact me right there, and that has all my contact information on it. Great. And you also have a really interesting uh, blog as well, uh, which is Mediation Matters. Is that right? Yes, yes, and exactly. Where could they go to read? Uh, could they go directly to your website to connect to your blog? They can. They can go directly to my website and they'll be able to connect to the blog. They can also go to stevemeta.wordpress.com. And um, I think they can also go to 112ways.com to connect. So, so there's a lot of ways you can connect. Exactly. <laughs> Never a waste to contact you. That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much again, Steve, for being on the show. I we this has been very enlightening, even for me, uh, about learning about all the varying ways that elder abuse is defined, but more importantly, the strategies that you know families need to be utilizing now, not waiting until they explode and become so you know have escalate to the point of no return. So I really know that this is going to be great value uh, to our listeners who are listening to this particular episode today. So thank you again very much. Thank you, Patty. All right. So um, the Texas Conflict Coach, uh, we do air every two weeks. Um, this is the last uh, episode of the Special Elder Care Series. We have so enjoyed the last two months uh, focusing on elder care. Uh, continues to be on demand, these shows, so they can be listened to indefinitely. Uh, forward, forward these shows to your friends uh, or family members who didn't get to listen live. They're there for you uh, as a resource. We do air every two weeks. Uh, we always start at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, so if you ever want to join us live, uh, feel free to do that and join our conversations. Our next show is Wednesday, uh, October the 7th. Uh, where we will be doing a special report, actually, from the conference site uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and this is on the Association for Conflict Resolution Conference and a special summit for organizational leaders in conflict resolution. So we're very excited about that. And remember, Conflict Resolution Day is celebrated around the world on October 15th. So we just ask you to think and consider about what that day might mean. It could be that you start off with a prayer. It could be that you write a poem. It doesn't matter, but we are trying to honor and celebrate Conflict Resolution Day, October 15th. So as we close, I want to thank you for joining us and supporting the show. I welcome your questions, comments, or feedback on the BTR show page in the comments section. Or again, you can email me, and let me just spell that out. That would be P. M like in May, Porter, P-O-R-T-E-R, at 
Conflict, C-O-N-F-L-I-C-T, Connections, C-O-N-N-E-C-T-I-O-N-S dot com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Texas, and that would be TX, Conflict Coach. I encourage our listeners to mark this show as your favorite. By first registering as a listener to BTR, BTR will then send you an automatic update to your email box reminding you of the next radio show time, and you can certainly download the Texas Conflict Coach from iTunes. We would love for you to become a fan, as we've already mentioned, uh, so do join our conversations. Um, This is your host, Patty Porter, the Texas Conflict Coach, empowering you to move constructively through conflict. Thank you for listening to the Texas Conflict Coach. We hope you've enjoyed the program. You can find over 300 podcasts archived to listen at your own convenience at texasconflictcoach.com or download the podcast at iTunes or Stitcher Radio. To learn about upcoming radio programs and resources, sign up for our monthly e-newsletter.